Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a psychic discusses living on the streets of Toronto and being watched over by the spirit of Jimi Hendrix. He was wild looking and I liked the way he looked and I felt comfortable with him. And I will tell you, I was about to go down a drug path with a very heavy kind of drug. And he appeared to me at that time as I was starting to go down that road. And I understood from that moment that it wasn't something I should be doing. And I kind of owe this to the way that he made me feel to draw my attention away from it. This podcast is brought to you by Bright Biz. If you own a business or you're dreaming of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com and grab your copy. I know there are a lot of websites that offer you a special deal on something, but then they stick you in a recurring program. This isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try. Bright Biz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting their best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end. So don't wait. Grab your free copy today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com. Freebusinesstoolbox.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to episode 49. Wow, we're just one away from the big 5-0. That's kind of a big deal, don't you think? We should have cake, balloons, streamers, maybe a confetti cannon, an Elvis impersonator and a white stallion, skywriting. Okay, well, maybe we'll save the confetti cannon for, I don't know, episode 500. And I don't think I can get Elvis through the studio door, actually. Maybe I'll just enjoy a, I don't know, a stale cookie after the podcast. It's Friday. Let's uh, let our hair down, shall we? Park the political subterfuge for today and meet the sexy psychic. That's not me objectifying her or being sexist. That's Sloane Bella's brand. That's what she calls herself, the sexy psychic. She was born with psychic mediumship abilities, and by the age of four, Sloan had learned to articulate nightly visits by otherworldly beings, aliens, and the spirits of those people who had crossed over. These communications went on throughout her childhood, and this was how she began to develop her ability to act as a conduit and to speak the different frequencies that exist around us. By 17, Sloan was established as a professional psychic medium while deeply entrenched in the street music vibe while reading for everyone from Gregory Hines to Don Adams as well as a large clientele which included street kids and runaways, teachers, musicians, businessmen, actors, strippers, congressmen, housewives, athletes, and anyone who needed help. Sloan's abilities at one point were even sought after by the head of a major crime family. Sloan was always connected to the other side, and one of the most unusual connections 
was her mediumship communication with the late Jimi Hendrix, who guided her and aided her work on the streets of Toronto and Hollywood. To this day, Sloan is still reading for people from every walk of life and for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame musicians who have relied on her medical intuitiveness along with her intuitive guidance in every area of their lives. She's a published author and former newspaper stringer writing on metaphysics. Hey, Sloan Bella, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. Long time no talk. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that I've learned about you is that you're a fellow Canuck. Now, you had kind of a hard go of it. You grew up on the streets of Toronto. Tell us about that. Yes, I did. Um, Well, I first of all wasn't born on the streets of Toronto, but yes, I was... um, Born in Toronto, Canada, which is my homeland, my home people. So it's especially nice to be talking to a fellow Canadian. Um, and I was raised in a very uh, probably upper middle class business minded family. Both my parents were business executive types and we had a nice background. But due to other things and my psychic ability, so a combination, sort of the perfect storm I ended up running away from home really early on in my life, just after I turned 14, and I actually hit the streets, and there was a period of time for a good year and a half where I literally was running, not well, actually running, yes, on the move from, you know, place to place, couch surfing, this kind of thing with people I didn't know, flop houses, um, like just the complete street life that you would think as a runaway teen. So I had that experience, never actually ended up going back home, but was able to really expand my psychic ability during this time frame. So I was able to really harness the energy that caused me so much problem growing up. It was a huge problem for my parents because they were logical people. And what I was saying seemed very not logical, if not mentally ill (laughs) to them. So there were lots of doctor visits and lots of, you know, discussions on, why I was hearing voices and saying the things I was saying. So, you know, and being visited at night by different kinds of beings and talking to people that had passed over, some of whom my parents knew who I was referencing and some they had no idea because I had no idea how to describe it. So it was very interesting. I never felt I was crazy, though, but the people around me definitely thought there was something wrong. Had you decided to ignore your gift if that's even possible or suppress it or deny it would that have would you have been able to stay in the home or was that even a a decision that you even thought about I, i didn't even think about it weirdly uh the i like to refer to them as the voices <laughs> sounds a bit schizophrenic but it isn't but the voice in my head just said you need to leave and you'll be fine so that's what I did it never occurred to me to stay in my home I felt like that lesson was done and that's really how I felt at the time I just knew that I was going to get up and leave and that I needed my freedom I don't know that I understood what that meant because you're a kid right I just turned 14 and I'm a kid I'm in school And I just basically walked out the door with my clothes for school and and I had a knapsack, running shoes. I did wear a couple, I remember distinctly, I wore a couple of different sweaters bundled up, but nothing that would make it obvious to my parents that I was not coming back. And I just left from school and went. And I was never scared. It was just a very odd feeling. But no, I, I never thought once 
if I just behave. I didn't know how to behave as anyone but myself. People kept saying who I was was wrong, but I really didn't know how, how else to be anybody else. Like it was always confusing to me when they would say you need to do this or you need to do that. And I'm not talking about structural things like, you know, you need to use a knife and fork. You need to shower every day. I did all of that. That was normal. My homework picked up my dishes and things like that. It was more like, you know, you, you need to not say those things. I was constantly being told not to say the things that I was saying. And that just wasn't an op. That really still isn't an option for me. If somebody says, you know, don't, say that I'm like I'm going to say it right <laughs> sorry right. I'm going to right. you know unless I guess if I was in court and a judge said don't do it then of course I wouldn't because that's a totally different thing within context sure but yeah no it never it never occurred to me not to other were there did you find other psychic kids I'm gonna I'll use that word because 13 14 you were a kid were there other kids out there on the street like you and for the same reason Actually, it's such a good question because kids on the street, this is what I've come to find out. And I've worked in this capacity as an adult with street kids, um, prostitutes, uh, kids, kids that are just living the street life. They're often far more psychic than your kids that grow up. I'll use the word sheltered or protected because that's the only way they're able to survive. So they're given a heightened ability to actually be able to perceive what's around them intuitively. And it allows them to avoid danger. Not everybody, because some people walk right into it, you know, either whether they're on drugs or they're not, they're worried about money. So they just get into cars. But what I noticed a lot, a lot of my gifts came out when I had a number of friends that were working the streets, um, sex workers, prostitutes, both male and female straight and gay and transgendered. And this, this was in Toronto and this is back in the early eighties. And a lot of these kids would come to me, you know, give me a couple of cigarettes. I don't smoke anymore. So it's okay. I've been I'm a reform smoker from a long time ago, but they would, you know, give me cigarettes. And I always joke about this or give me a couple bucks so I could get my hair done kind of thing or my nails done. And I would tell them information like tonight you're going to be safe because some of them would get feelings and when you talk to them, they will say, I felt like something was going to happen to me. So I didn't get in that car, but my friend got in that car and they, I've never seen them since. And or they got murdered. There were as many cases where kids were, you know, abandoned, murdered, beat up, that kind of thing. And it was the instinct of the psychic ones, the ones that were more in touch with it and trusted it and chose to go with their gut. The ones that didn't second guess themselves, even if it meant losing 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it was, they're the ones that actually are still alive and able to move forward in life because they listen to their instinct. That's very important when it comes to psychic work. If you don't listen, then what good is the gift? Because you're going against it and arguing with yourself and therefore it's not helpful to you. So the kids on the street are exceptionally psychic. I mean, they're just born that way. Could be why they end out, end up on the streets too. I call it the more difficult a life experience, the more abuses a child ex- t- takes on in this life. I call that a psychic life. A lot mm. of the kids I talk to now that are psychic have come from extreme backgrounds, whether they have money and nice, what is perceived as nice on the outside. It's very extreme within the house. And it's to give them their psychic chops is what I call it. It's to prepare them to be able to move forward in life to help other people. That's actually, they're the healers. This is the way that I see it, kind of the way it's been explained to me. They're the healers on the planet, whether they work 
as a psychic or they work as a nurse or they work at, you know, they're a stay-at-home mom. They are the ones that will help heal the next generation because of these experiences and their intuition. And so they're kind of sent out into the earth to experience a vast variety of different things in order to be able to help. That's, that's how it was kind of brought to my attention right. intuitively. Can you give me an example where your psychic abilities saved your saved your life or saved you from serious harm while you were on the street? Maybe you got mixed up with the wrong folks and then you knew something? Oh, yeah, definitely. I can tell you I was a little bit older, probably 17-ish, and no, I might have even been a little bit older than that. I get confused now. <laughs> but um, I, I, I was older than when I first run away, but, you know, and I was living a, a, quote, normal life, and I was in a club with some friends of mine that happened to be strippers at the time, and one of the girls asked me, she was going to go out on a date, okay, with, with um, a guy that owned a different, a club owner from a different club across town. And for some reason, I told her, it, she wasn't actually dating this person, but he, people had their eyes on him. I guess he had money and clubs and access to whatever people want when they're dating. Okay, so he seemed like a good catch. And I told her, you know, you shouldn't be going out with him. Well, about a week later, I got the same proposition that she got, meaning, you know, he wanted to go out on a date. And there was something about that conversation with her, not the fact that he asked her out because, you know, people date around, it's, it's fine, whatever. But it was something about the way I felt about it that I chose to decline. Um, I made up the usual stories that I will make up so as not to draw, <laughs> draw attention to myself, such as I have a family obligation. It's my favorite thing to say, you know, just who's going to argue with that, right? Like I have to take care of my grandmother, even though I didn't have one at the time. <laughs> but um, it was really interesting because I had such a repulsion to him on a physical level. Not, it was a very good looking man, um, physically fit, tall, handsome, everything that you would think was normal, had his own house, several businesses. I just felt like not going to do it. And it was really interesting because about a week later, so just imagine if I'd have been dating him or having dinner with him or conversations with him, he ended up getting murdered in a car with that girl that I told not to go out with him, like for the feeling she actually did go out with him. There were seven of them shot in a car. It was a gang type of thing or a drug money you know, however right. you want to call it, could right. be mob hit or gang or whoever does that at the time. But they actually all were killed. I, I believe there were seven of them shot in the car. And it's it's interesting because my instinct would not let me do it. Like there was nothing I could do to make myself do it. What happens to me when I get those feelings is even if like you were, you and I were hanging out, you said, go ahead, Sloan, go do it. I would try to do it and my body would physically not let me do it. I'd get a thing that I kind of coined as psychic Tourette's where I would start arguing with you and I would start making up excuses, not real excuses. I would just make up any excuse. Like right. I have to wash my hair. I have to chew my socks, right. whatever. But my, my mind would not let me go there. And that's actually what happened. And I, there's, there's been many different things where I've started to walk into situations and I've realized it's not good. And I've turned around and walked out at the right time. Um, I don't know that they're all as extreme as that. Um, there was one instance where I was actually in Florida. It's another kind of mob type of thing, but I was working um, for somebody that was a very well-known mob boss on a boat, 
for his mistress and her friends, uh, as uh, just doing the psychic readings, if you will. And th- we were the entertainment. There was more than one of us psychic girls there. And we were the entertainment for the women they were not married to. So we were kept in the back in private. And it was just a good paying gig kind of thing when I was living in Miami. And um, it was interesting because one of his associates sat down with me for a reading and I protected myself in that situation because I could actually feel what was going on, but I never wanted them to really think I was that real. I just wanted them to think I made their girlfriends happy. So they, you know, like didn't say anything too offensive and was friendly and good entertainment, so to speak. But this man sat down in front of me and I knew he was going to blow the whistle on the man that was hiring me. who was actually a mob boss for real. He ended up dying in prison. Um, I don't know, like 10 years ago or eight years ago. Um, but anyway, I knew this man was going to speak out and I didn't even know who he was. But at that moment, later that night, I pretended I had a phone call and I went back to Los Angeles. So I would not be involved or even thought of being involved because I knew it was going to come down within the next several weeks. And it did. And that Bob, that mob boss ended up going to jail, um, and then spent his life in jail. And that was, um, you know, he, I didn't want to be included. I'd since run into that same man. They didn't end up killing him. And he ended up running um, a circuit of women out of the Valley in Los Angeles, but it was a really interesting connection. I just knew at the time that I could not be around him. Right. I didn't really understand why. I just knew that pretty much everybody that was around him was going to go down. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't want to be in it. I didn't know if it, it meant murdered or beat up or arrested. So sometimes it's not specific what's going to happen. I just know it's going to be a huge problem and I'll step away from it. Right, right. You just see a lot of red flags. Yeah, and there's a feeling physically too. They get a very strong physical feeling. So it's not something I can uh, avoid. Like I just have to get up and leave. And I do do that at times. (laughs) I wish I I could develop that skill. (laughs) Just get up and leave. You probably can. Well, you probably can. It's, You have to just do it, but you probably are, maybe your politeness might be getting in the way, which is the problem with people when they feel something, they don't want to hurt somebody else's feelings. Especially us Canucks. Oh, you guys are the politest. Yeah, that's why I'm down here. I'm rude as hell, but yeah. I'm the least psychic (laughs) Um, person I know. I'm truly, I'm the least psychic person I know. I just, I have no, you know, I hear, I I, I talk about UFOs. I've never seen one. Uh, I mean, I've had a couple of paranormal experiences experiences but i'm not an intuitive person maybe if i slow down maybe i would you know i could i could learn but um at this point no but it would be it it would certainly be handy in this business you know to be able to read people uh better however it it would i'm sure you do it i'm sure you do it but i think you may do it i think you may do it in a way that is in a way that comes through as logic to you and so you don't see it as psychic per se, because a lot of the things that we see on how people describe, it's different for every person, by the way. There is no one way to teach psychic um, because it's different. It depends on how your body is, how your body harnesses energy, what kind of thinking person you are. Some people are feelers and they're moody. And so it comes through that way for them. Other people are logical and intellectual. So they speak it and it just sounds like normal speech so you probably harness it differently and you're a man so you guys are more logical 
in your approach. So you might not recognize it's psychic because it hasn't whapped you on the side of the head, as I say. Um, you know, it hasn't really hit you, but I suspect you are, or you wouldn't be in the field. Hmm. Interesting. You wouldn't be do you wouldn't be doing this topic if it weren't I know you're journalistic in your approach, but yes. you really wouldn't be interested necessarily in continuing it to the degree that you do if it weren't something that you felt were accurate you just don't know quite how to put your finger on it for yourself oh i don't and discount not, i don't just i'm not yeah. discounting that others have the ability i'm just saying for me personally no no, no yeah. i know for yeah. you but i think it exists in you you just it hasn't come out in you strong enough yet or in a way that you recognize it all right i think well. you might be going because you're journalists you guys think you you need a lot of proof in your you know in yes. putting things together you yes. like to have a lot of a equals B equals C. So that can sometimes block people. Women tend to be more open, or gay men, women or gay men, because it, we are more emotional. So when we say we feel things, it's not abnormal for me to say that, but it might be seen as a little bit weird if you said that. Sure, particularly being, you know, of British uh, heritage, where the best strategy for us is you take, you know, you take those feelings and you stuff them deep down inside until they become hard like a diamond. <laughs> right. And then you drink yourself to death. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, that's the Irish. Sorry, I have a confused here. Um, yeah, no, I know the British is stiff, stiff upper lip and, you know, don't oh, cry yes. and... That's yeah, it. yeah, no, <laughs> that's funny. It could very well be, but it it is. If you ask, like, if you meditate or you're in a quiet space and you tell them you're ready to see, you'll start seeing things happen. A lot of times we block ourselves. Like I have clients I work with, and they'll say, "No, I'm afraid to see that." And I'm like, "But you tell me you want to say it, then you say you're afraid to see it." Well, by being afraid, you're blocking it because hmm. then it won't come through. Right. Now, I may not be psychic, but I truly believe dogs have psychic abilities. If you don't believe me, check out the work of Rupert Sheldrake. He's done some phenomenal experiments in this area. It must be part of their hidden intelligence. If you have a dog, wouldn't you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence? I'm not talking about psychic abilities. I'm talking about eliminating bad behavior and creating the obedient, well-behaved pet of your dreams. A woman named Adrian Ferricelli, a professional certified dog trainer has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside the dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you may have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. Our brains are capable of learning new behaviors. Well, your dog's brain has the same plasticity. With the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. When this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. realbusinessbargains.com. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? 
Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Psychic medium Sloan Bella is here, and we're talking about developing psychic abilities and how her abilities probably saved her life as she grew up on the streets of Toronto and later Los Angeles. When did Jimi Hendrix's spirit start appearing for you? Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Well, I've come to since find out he was around quite a bit at the time, but I was, and I'm going back on my memory, I was either like 11 or 12. So I'm, I'm going to say in the, well, like 77, I might've been 10, 11, 12, right? Middle of the 77, middle of the seventies. Um, for me, I started to see him and he was not the music I listened to. As I like to tell everybody at the time I was a queen fan. I remain a queen fan. I really totally love Jimi Hendrix, but Queen is my like favorite people right. uh, band, if you will. So it wasn't even in my thinking to understand who Jimi Hendrix was. And as I also tell people, you know, I was a fan of the Bay City Rollers at the time. So I was still being a kid doing the kid thing. And I would see this man and he would come to me. And it was just before I ran away from home. And when I was on the streets, I saw him all the time. But he was this very magnanimous, huge, flamboyant, almost looked like a huge hologram. If you were to go into a museum and they were to shine a hologram on the wall of somebody and they appeared to be like seven feet tall, that's actually how I saw him. I would be walking down the streets of Toronto by Young and Bluer, walking down that way, subway, hanging around, going down there, and I would see his image above me. This is after I ran away from Mm -hmm. home. But I would see his image above me, and he would communicate with me. And people always ask me, what what does that mean? And for me, what it meant is he would, I call it telepathic, because I've come to feel that that's actually what it is. But we just don't do that as human beings. We speak, so you can hear me, your audience can hear me. We, we communicate like this. But it was almost as if he put thoughts into my head or the impression of what he was trying to get across to me, he would put that into my head. So I would understand what he was trying to tell me, although no words were exchanged out like to the outside world. I wasn't talking to anybody. I was not walking down the street talking. But I had an idea of what he was trying to convey to me. And what I found really extraordinary, and it, it is completely mind-blowing, because I have no musical ability whatsoever, except I like music. I'm a connoisseur of music. But I have no idea how to play right. I can't hold a tune. People might run. Animals may cover their faces if I start singing, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. But <laughs> small children are horrified. But I would actually be driven to start writing music. And that's not something I did. It's not something I was ever trained to do. It's not, it's not anything that was ever in my keeping other than listening to music and knowing what I liked and understanding you know, the feel of the music, but I was being asked to write this music and he would play these law. And I still did not really know who it was because I wasn't asking people, who is this guy? There were a lot of colors around him. He was very flamboyant in appearance. I did notice that I knew he was black and I knew that he was wild looking and I liked the way he looked and I felt comfortable with him. He always appeared for me. And I will tell you, I don't usually say this necessarily, but I was about to, me personally, go down 
a, a drug path with a very heavy kind of drug. We'll just call it heroin at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what it was. So we won't call it that. It was that. And he appeared to me at that time as I was starting to go down that road. And I understood from that moment, it was, I was probably in that world maybe five or six months, but I understood at that moment that it wasn't something I should be doing. And I kind of owe this to the way that he made me feel to draw my attention away from it, almost as if like parental to me um, without being a parent. In other words, if you start down this path, this is not going to work out well for you. So you need to kind of step away from these people. And within months I did, and it was not an issue for me. Weirdly, it just wasn't an issue after that. So Jimi Hendrix's spirit saved your life. Yeah. I actually believe that because yeah, when I was with those people and before I was high, if you want to word it like that, because my family members like to say, oh, you were high. That's why you saw it. I'm like, no, I was actually straight sober and saw him all the way along. But anytime I was in those circles of people, I understood that he understood where that was and that he didn't think it was good for me. And he kept directing me mentally, okay, if you, if you will. And I saw him physically too, but he would direct my mind to the things that he was creating. And I understood that I was here to do something else and not this. He kind of showed me that if I went down this path, it would be like a dead end path for me and I wouldn't be able to create what I needed to. And I, I don't know that I met, thought that meant music or art or anything like that. I just thought it meant create a life. Hmm. And so that I understood what he was saying and I also understood that it wasn't for me like he kept saying this is not what you need to experience in other words either I've been there done that or it's not my my path in this life right. I really understood it and I understood that he had an affinity for runaway kids I came to find out later that he was basically you know on his own since he was 15 and I think part of his soul work on the other side was to come through to people that could pick up on his energy and try to guide them where maybe where they were going to take a misstep at right. the time. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if this had to do with how he crossed over and this was his way of atoning for that. I also felt very strongly because he was constantly trying to get me to write music and it was really lost on me because it just wasn't my thing. But and I didn't know what to do with it. I really feel like at the point of his passing that he um, had so much work that he had not had a chance to release. There must be hundreds of songs and music arrangements that he did that have gone unnoticed because I really felt like he wanted me to do that for him. And and I have no ability to do it. He wanted to channel, he wanted you to channel him to finish his music. Yeah, that's uh, and that, that is why he showed up. I, I really felt that. But he was also a friend. So when I, it's very weird. When I was alone, as in walking down the street, maybe I was hungry. Um, there were times I was very hungry um, or wanting something different. My feet were cold. You know how those slushy streets are. My feet were cold. Um, there were instances where I'd stay in the shelter overnight. He was always there during that period. So I wasn't really afraid because I could focus on something else. So I wasn't afraid. Like I figured he would have told me if I need to be afraid and he didn't. So I knew I was okay. And once you learned, and once you learned that it was Jimi Hendrix, 
his spirit. Uh, did he continue to appear to you? Does he still to this day? Well, he has at times, but not with that frequency. Uh, I think probably when I first moved to L.A., so like in 86, I kind of feel like the energy dissipated at that time. It wasn't so much as it wasn't as much of a strong focus. I didn't see him as much. So I figured his soul went on in a different um, direction or he learned the lesson that he needed to or had atoned for whatever was doing his soul work and moving and crossing on into a different space. Cause keep in mind their job isn't always to come and help us on this side. Like just like we have kids and our kids grow up and they go to college. We're not like stalking them 24 seven. If we're normal, right? Like we're not supposed to be, we're not Some supposed to do that. Li- we're not yeah, supposed no. to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when they're, <laughs> I mean, my 25 year old, I'm still paying attention to what he's doing. You know, I still show up places. I get the dirty looks and, and whatever. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, we're not technically supposed to spend all our time in their business, so to speak. Right? right. We're supposed to let them grow and educate them and really hope that they fly on their own, which is a job as a parent. I get the feeling on the other side, they do that as well. But there are times when I do pick him up. A couple of years ago, he came in really strongly to me as if he wanted me to know that he was being spoken about again and that people were starting to find interest in him again. I feel like I feel like part of him has reconciled how he died or the fact that he did die. Hmm. But I really, really feel like he was pissed off he didn't get to do his music, which kind of lets me know that the way that he died is not exactly the way it was presented to us. Right. Because right. nobody is that pissed off. Like, in other words, if, well, I guess it could be accidental overdose. You could be pissed off that you accidentally overdosed, but I don't even get that that's fully what happened because he was so adamant on this music needs to get out there. It needs to be, you haven't heard my music. I wasn't finished what I was doing. Almost as if he was taken out of his path in this life. The soul, we have a path each life, and if we don't complete it, it causes us problems on the other side because we have to come back and repeat sure. and then maybe do more work or different work to accommodate for what we screwed up or what was screwed up for us if somebody takes you out of your life. You know, like if someone drives into you with a car by accident and it's not planned and part of your development, then that screws you up too. Well, there is a theory that he was murdered. I've, I've done programs on this, his former road manager. Uh, believes mm-hmm. that he certainly believes he was murdered and that his manager, the late Mike Jeffrey, had something to do with it. And he claimed that his manager confessed to him that he had Jimmy killed because his contract was about to expire and Jimi Hendrix was his cash cow. Uh, and without Jimi Hendrix, he would be left holding the bag to, to repay some loans to the mob. Uh, and uh, that's one version of how it may have gone down. Yeah, I tend to um so you're saying that the the theory is the the manager owed to the mob money. Yes. And And so therefore needed a chunk of money. And he took out a life insurance money to keep coming in. He took a life insurance policy out on Jimmy, which wasn't unusual in that business. Record companies would put a life insurance policy on an artist, managers would. Mm-hmm. And um so he uh, supposedly collected on Jimmy's death, because he knew he was he was not going to resign with him once the contract expired. 
And I'll tell you something that I'm just picking up with that right now. I feel the reason he wasn't going to resign had nothing to do actually with anything other than he wasn't able to do the creative work he wanted to. Jimmy was extremely creative and extremely free freedom oriented in his creativity. So if you put too many leashes around him on how to create, let's just say like, um, if you look at some singers now and they're like Disney artists, that's a very controlled environment. Right. As you know what I'm, I'm talking yeah. about, like it's very, very controlled. So if you controlled Jimmy with how he was going to create, this was something he couldn't tolerate. And I actually felt like that was why he couldn't understand why his music wasn't heard. I tend to think when I'm looking at it, I feel the people around him, there were more people at the time that he died. I've picked that up because he's kind of showed me, this was two years ago. It's not actually when I first started to see him that I knew any of this. I didn't even know that he was, I assumed he was dead, but I didn't even really know what happened or who he was. So I, I wasn't like, you know, there was nothing being, he wasn't even discussing that. It was more about getting the music out, honestly. Um, it, you know, or, or the creating, he used to play guitar for me. That sounds really weird when I say that, um, because he was on the other side and I was here. So it was nothing to do with his death or he wasn't dealing with that at the time, or he didn't want to deal with it, or I just wasn't privy to that. But a couple of years ago, I picked up that at the point that he died, I felt like there was more people in the room. Now, I know if I'm in a room with you and you're struggling with something, whether you have a food allergy or you're overdosing or whatever, as an adult person, not a scared teenager, but as an adult person, I'm probably going to call 911, okay? And I'm going to jump on you, turn you upside down, try to make you get in the shower, something. Something right. you see in the movies when people are trying to resuscitate, whatever they have. I'm going to do that. I don't feel that that was done for him. And I'm seeing, um, I do see a female in the room. I feel um, she seems to have this weird thing. She seems to be wearing an odd coat for the time of year that it is. So she's wearing a very heavy coat that I don't think she should have been wearing. Like meaning it, it's not inclusive of the, the, the temperature outside. Right. So right. this tells me that she may have been on some kind of drugs that she was trying to hide, you know, wear this coat and hide, hide under the coat. So you right. can't really see her kind of thing. Um, or she was literally hiding under the coat, but I feel the female was there and it feels like she was shoved out of the area, shoved and moved out of the area and I'm not even sure that she was exactly aware of what was going on because as I'm talking to you, I can feel almost like they just, they're telling her, we just want to talk. We just want to talk that kind of thing. She seems a little bit medicated to me herself. So I think she probably just like staggered out into the hallway or something like this and just disappeared because she was told to, which means somebody was in the, in the room telling her to step out. That's what it feels like to me. And I feel like she, didn't ever repeat that she just kind of wasn't there. Like he either started to overdose and she wasn't by overdose. I mean, get sick from whatever was in his body. However, it got there. There is confusion about that because I do feel he was also a drug taker at the time. So I feel like he was to his own detriment doing drugs. Okay. From his own hand. But I also feel that somebody else helped him do those drugs on that day. And by drugs, I mean drugs and alcohol and all of that. Okay, so whatever one would ingest, I feel like he was helped and he did some himself. Um, so I feel like there was this combination with him. 
I do see that he was savable and nobody saved him. There's people looking at him as he's passing and they're not stopping. So that is murder to me when you don't do anything. Absolutely. I guess you yeah. don't have to do anything, but like, I feel like you do have to do something. Like if I see someone dying on the streets, I think I should do something, you know, even oh, if absolutely. I don't know them. Yes, absolutely. But, it, but especially if I know them, I should be helping. So I'm almost seeing that there were five male people in the house. Three of them stand back and watch, and two of them know Jimmy directly. I don't know if this was his manager because I don't know what he looked like, but there was a man there with kind of medium brown hair, a white man, and facial hair at the time. Um, the eyes were light, kind of like a beard and mustache together, brown hair a little bit longer, and the eyes were light, like blue or green eyes. I, I don't know which, but light eyes, not dark. Uh, and I do feel, I feel that man knew him and there was another man with him. And so I feel like, I feel like they needed to be um, certain that it worked out the way. I almost wonder if somebody had the man I'm seeing with the facial hair and the, the, the lighter, the, the medium brown hair, but the facial hair, I'm wondering if he needed to be there to be included in it so that he wouldn't tell on them. Uh -huh. do, do you know, like I make, right. I yes. make you rob the bank so that I don't get in trouble. Right. Even though you don't want to rob the bank, but I tell you, I'm going to screw with you, <laughs> you know, mess, mess with you, get you arrested. It almost feels like that. And keep in mind, there's another element, which is really interesting. And this is pertaining to the manager. There's a very interesting thing that I've come to find out. Now we assume that people, um, for example, Jimi Hendrix, so it's written up that it's either drug or alcohol, toxicity or both or whatever, like it's some kind of whatever he ingested problem, and he passes away from this, and we just all take it because the person's a musician and, you know, they all do this. Well, they do kind of all do it at one point or another, don't they? But, yeah. um, you know, seems to be part of it. But we don't take into consideration, and I've come into this recently. I did not know this when I was younger, but there's an energy with people who are successful on this planet to the level that he was, because he was climbing the ranks really quickly. Okay. Like I'm, I, it was a lifelong thing, but he was going, he was pretty young. So he was climbing the ranks really quickly. And as he's climbing the ranks and getting well known, he's going through energy pockets on this earth. It's not the best energy. Um, when people refer to, you know, um, good and evil or God and Satan or, you know, the good energy versus the bad energy, however you want to word it in whatever context, that's actually not wrong. This, this earth energy atmosphere is kind of a lower vibration, more on the negative. So there are a lot of people and energies running around on the planet that once they see success, now I'm speaking of the manager and they start selling themselves in a dark way, if you will, Okay, so yes. the manager starts to do darker things that bring in darker energy onto him. Yes. There is a way that they can be controlled, the human being I'm talking about. Let's say the manager does drugs himself, or he's a complete gambling addict, and his aura is open to that. He can invite in less-than-friendly energies into his physical aura that act on behalf of the human being and it's not even the human being doing it and I find that a lot in the instance of people 
and the energy in which they go out with. Like it's a negative energy because they've attached to fame and success. And that opens your aura up big. So I'm speaking of Jimmy there. He's open because he's public. Okay. And people like him and they're responding to him. So his aura energy is open. That means the negative energy on the planet can attach to him under the guise of being anybody, even a relative technically, right? Could be his kid, could be his mom, could be his dad, his cousin, whoever, manager. And then there's kind of an evil shift. What I get from the man, so, so in other words, people can be, it's a really weird concept, but people can be murdered by energy that's attached to their aura or those around them. And it's not really the human being doing it. And that's a really weird concept. We, we might even call that a possession. It is a possession. Yeah, hmm. I'm trying not, I was almost trying not to use that word because it sounds absurd. But the more drugs and alcohol that people do, or sure. the more that they open themselves energetically, like think in terms of a politician that has a huge aura because they talk to the whole world, right? Like, yes. Basically. And they have a huge aura they can actually be talked into doing stuff because they are so open. And if they have a moment of weakness or let's say they drink too much for six months or they're popping pills or shooting up or whatever they're doing, they're opening themselves up to being in the middle of that kind of response. And there's a whole, suicide, for example, I've had a lot of clients that have had people who've taken their own lives and they, of course, come for readings and they want to know more about that. And a lot of the times there's, I'll use the word murder, but murder of a human life happening from behind the scenes. It's not the person, it's somebody on the other side, or it's almost a possession. You can call it demonic. You can call it a bad person who hasn't gone into the light and call it whatever you want. Convincing the soul to step out of their body and to do stuff. It's weird. We think it's the person doing it. It's not always the case. Right. So you so have they to look tricked, at them individually. Tricked, yes, they tricked, tricked into suicide. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, I, into I think suicide. there's definitely something yes. to that. So with the Jimi Hendrix um, situation, when I'm looking at it, I feel, and this, I, I feel he was a good soul. Okay. So no matter what anybody tells me about anything he did, I feel like he was actually a good person. So, he got mixed up a bit and this is, you know, family patterning genetics and whatever he grew up with, but he was a good person because I wasn't the only person he tried to help, but he actually tried to help people who were the throwaways of society for whatever reason. That's a good person. Like he wasn't out there trying to take over another body and trying to become, you know, doing that kind of thing. He was trying to help, I wasn't the only street kid that he talked to. There were other people I've run into over my life all over the country that were visited by him. Oh, that's interesting. So he, hmm. Yeah, no, really, there has been. I mean, it's, I mean, in different states all over the place. Like, I was on the East Coast at the time. He seemed to be partial to the East Coast. But now that I'm in California, I've heard it from people here. I've seen it from, you know, uh, I've talked to people and I, I've heard their stories. They're very similar and match in that he tried to come through and it was about the music and the creation. It wasn't anything about like I was murdered or, you know, I had a drug problem or I screamed at somebody. It wasn't anything like that. It was like, no, you need to understand this. And I feel he was open because he, I believe that he channeled the music from the other side. So I believe he was an open vessel to begin with, which makes him a target for the negative energy on this planet who come in the way of his manager. So I actually feel like they knew and let him die. 
So yeah, I'm not I, sure how much their hand was in it, but that's murder to me when you don't stop something like that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, people can listen to my other podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, and get the full story as well. <laughs> uh, cool. The um, yeah, maybe the Jimi Hendrix is the uh, the patron saint of the homeless. Well, Saint James. It's kids. Yes. yes. Well, you know what? The the teenage runaways. He definitely he had an affinity with them. They understood him. I think his music was for them. I don't know why I want to say that. I right. I don't recall. I really haven't read much about like where he came to his music from or why it came to him, but I actually feel as a fellow, I'm going to call him a fellow street kid. That's what I always felt he was. And I don't actually know if that's true literally, but I do, I do know he was on his own at a young age. I feel like he was one of us. And so he achieved what he wanted to, but it didn't work out exactly the, the way that he wanted it to. But I felt like he was a good soul. I don't, say that about every quote entertainer or person I talk to on from the other side because some of them well we're flawed as human beings but some of them are less evolved I feel like he was really evolved and a channel and I I feel which is so interesting when I look at him look at himself I feel like he didn't even understand like why he was who he was (laughs) interesting Mm. thing um, so I feel like the lifetime where he was this Jimi Hendrix, I feel like he didn't understand. He may have switched like races in the most recent lifetime or genders because I, I feel the feeling of like, I don't even know how I got here like this, but I'm going to go with it. So he was really um, a teacher in a lot of ways, far ahead of his time musically. And he was using his music as, as um, I got it very strongly. It was, kind of tonal and vibrational so he was using his music to get people into a different form of thought so to kind of move the vibration in a different direction that's a little bit of an advanced concept so Mm. he wasn't i I don't know that he knew consciously he was doing that but the soul did okay so this is what i see him doing he was way ahead of his time no question about that no question about that big time ahead but but see he was open channel you don't yes. get that without being open to yeah. those realms. When he had almost open, a, 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 almost the, the 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 mindset I think of a classical composer, even though he didn't have the, yeah. the training. He understood it uh, in terms of you know creating chords and chord structures. And uh, I, I did I did uh, speak with a former bandmate of his, Juma Sultan, who played mm-hmm. with him at Woodstock after the Jimi Hendrix experience broke up. He had a new band called Gypsy Sun and Rainbows, and his mm-hmm. his one of his percussionists, uh, uh, Juma Sultan, described Jimmy's playing as he said he played the music of the spheres. That's that's kind of what he did. He was mm. so open. And by the way, that band he had after the Jimi Hendrix experience, he was trying to go in a different direction. I get very strongly that his manager and whoever else was around him did not want him going in this direction. So a lot of what his struggle was at the time of his passing was that they wouldn't let him do the music he wanted to do. So think back throughout history with other musicians and look at somebody like Elvis Presley, who was forced to play those stupid TV movie roles with those ukulele playing music when that wasn't what he was there to do. It was kind of the cash cow thing again. Sure. When it's it's often it, that, that controlling manager. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That was I, part of the problem. 
are you available uh, for, for for private readings? Can people reach out to you through your website? And and um, yes, how does absolutely. that work? How do they do that? Well, yeah, <laughs> telepathically. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I had to say it. They can go to sloanbella.com and there's a contact page and they can just email me and I will get back to them ASAP. Sloanbella.com. Correct. Yes. Great talking to you again, Sloan. You too. Thank you so much for having me on. Very fun. And you're in Canada. Loving it. All right. My (laughs) pleasure. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's coming up on episode 50. Before that, of course, there will be our weekly draw. Be listening to see if your name is pulled from the ginormous cheese puffs jar for a copy of my Strange Planet CD. But first, I want to tell you about Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract, which provides powerful antioxidant effects throughout the body. Green tea contains health-promoting polyphenols, including a powerful antioxidant, which has been the subject of extensive scientific research. Pour on these multiple health benefits. Green tea is a powerful antioxidant, and it supports cell membrane integrity, boosts liver detoxification, enhances immune function, and helps maintain healthy blood cholesterol cholesterol, LDL, and triglyceride levels, and much more. Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract is decaffeinated, yet it contains more polyphenols in one capsule than seven cups of green tea. The Chinese have used green tea for therapeutic purposes since 2000 BC. More recently, volumes of published scientific findings attest to its multiple health benefits. One capsule a day of Mega Green Tea Extract is all you need. Give your body what it needs. Order right now from Life Extension and save 25%. Just go to smartclickidea.com. That's smartclickidea.com. Smartclickidea.com. Okay, time to reach into the jar. And here we go. This week's winner of Strange Planet Volume 2 is... Deanna Ballard of Salem, Oregon. Deanna... Congratulations. I'll drop that in the post later today. If you want to get in on the draw, it's real simple. Just rate and review this podcast. Grab a screenshot of that. Email it to me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Don't forget to include your full name and mailing address. And uh, then your name goes into the ginormous cheese puffs jar. And and uh, then be listening every Friday. And uh, hopefully you'll hear your name. All right. Coming up on episode 50, the big 5-0 of Conspiracy Unlimited, Ages of the Giants, a cultural history of the tall ones in prehistoric America. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats, we need. We need constant petting. <laughs> <laughs>